0: Amen, amen. Well, I want to give you guys a couple of updates with the coronavirus and our response as a church. As you know, it's been day by day, hour by hour, decisions that churches are making and gatherings are making. Uh, the board this morning, as you know, we don't have children's uh, we don't have children's church during the service, and so we'll see a lot more children with us here during the service. Uh, but uh, that, that was one decision. We're not going to have Sunday school next week either. Uh, we are canceling all of our weekly gatherings, so no Wednesday night, uh, no Thursday night practice unless uh, Mike decides that you guys can do it at his house or whatever that looks like. Um, but we are, we are going to... You'd like that at your house, wouldn't you? Yeah, practice. But we, we, we made that decision based off of the six-foot rule, and we know that kids they'll hang on their teachers and they'll hang on each other whether you tell them to or not, uh, and they will will do that. However, we are going to, as a board, make a decision on Friday about what we're going to do for our service gathering. Uh, So we don't have a decision yet on what we're going to be doing, whether we're gonna open the doors or not next Sunday. No matter what, those of you watching online, we will have online service. Those of you in the room, we will have online service. No matter what we decide to do, Going forward in the next couple of weeks, as the government is kind of giving us recommendations, suggestions, and laws on what we are to do and not to do, we will, no matter what, have online services. Mike and I, if it has to be, I'll get on the box drum, he'll lead through acoustic, and then I'll preach, and we'll say amen. Uh, so that, that's kind of the plan going forward, and uh, Hayden and Lee will need one of you, too, uh, to be here for sound. We could probably run back and forth if we had to, though, right, Mike? Uh, yeah. Well, anyways, I, I want to I wanna say as a pastor that this is a time where we can choose fear or we can choose to trust in the Lord. There is a serious thing going on around our country, around the world. It is interesting to see how something like this has, has united the world together. And we can use this opportunity as believers to, to put forward the truth of God's gospel, the unification of Christ's death and resurrection... You know, I don't think it's any coincidence that this is on the heels of Easter. My prayer is that the week or the week and a half before Easter, every, every sanction is lifted and that everybody will want to be in church for Easter. And that's my prayer. That's really my prayer. And I want you guys to be praying alongside with me so that we can see our churches flooded in, in America, hearing the gospel of Jesus and people coming to know our Lord. And with that, we we have been called by by our president to have a day of prayer. And so I'm going to spend some time in prayer this morning. And I, I want you, after church, to do the same. Spend time with your families, praying for those in our world, the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the needy, the elderly. There are people who are more susceptible to the coronavirus than others. And so we need to, as a church, be used by God to serve those who need to be served. If you have tons of toilet paper and you don't know what to do with it, find someone who doesn't have any, all right? And offer it to them. Uh, and, and say, here, we have a gift of TP for you, right? Well, whatever it is that we can do, there are people who will not be able to go shopping for their food. You can go shopping. There are going to be parents who have their kids home from school who are going to need childcare or daycare if you have the opportunity to help them out because they still have to work, please do so. This is an opportunity for kingdom advancement. We as believers are the only people who do not have to be slaves to fear. Amen? Because we're children of God. The Bible tells us time and time again, do not be afraid. And so we don't have to be afraid. Let's pray and then we will open the word of the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us, that you are a God who cares, that you are a God who sees. You are not blind to our situation. You're not surprised by what's happening around the world. This did not take you uh, by surprise. You are aware and you are seeing the pandemic that is going on around the world. First and foremost, Father, we ask for this to be a time of kingdom advancement, Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall fresh into our hearts and into our lives and give us eyes to see the opportunities that we can take for kingdom advancement. This is a time where the world is hurting, and as believers, because we don't have to be afraid, we can come alongside those who need help and bring help, hope, and healing in the name of Jesus. And so I pray that we will be faithful to that. And I pray that as we are faithful, as we are going, that you will protect us. And God, we do pray for an end of this pandemic. I do pray, Father, that on Easter Sunday, all of the churches around the world, not just in America, but all the churches around the world will be full and filled with people who are hungry for answers, who are hungry for safety, who are hungry for freedom from fear, and that they will find the gospel, that this will be a time where not just we see this pandemic and people isolating, but in the end that people come to Christ. I pray that this will be one of the largest times of people coming to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that you will draw them and that we'll be used by you to speak the truth of the gospel in the lives of those who are fearful, afraid, those who may be sick, those who are grieving, those who are lost and hurting. God, because you can do that. There is nothing that is impossible for you. Everything is possible. And so, Father, I pray for our church, those who are watching online and those who are here right now, that you will give us a spirit of conquering, knowing that we do not have to have a spirit of fear. That we will go forward as your missionaries, as your workers, as your children to do your work. Be with us now. Speak to us as we open your word. May it not just be a time of education, but may it be a time of transformation where we see your word, and we can put it into practice even now, even during these times of great fear in our country and around our world. In your name, amen. Amen. Now, I remember a time in my life as a father where I ruined our toaster oven. Now, maybe you have a toaster oven or maybe you don't, but if you know anything about toaster ovens, there are instructions that after you use them for a time, there's a little tray that has the leftover food and the droplets of whatever you've been cooking that you need to take out once in a while, clean off, and put back in so things don't catch on fire. Right? My wife even said she was leaving that day and said, okay, I know you're going to be cooking and I, I'm pretty sure you're probably going to use the toaster oven because that's what you do on dad times. And, and so I need you to clean that out before you use the toaster oven. Yeah, honey, of course, of course I'll do that. I didn't do that. So when I cook the food, I put the food in there. All of a sudden I walk back into the kitchen and it's on fire. Flames are coming out of the toaster oven. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And thankfully... My wife's father is a fireman, and so he gave us an extinguisher for our kitchen. If we did not have that extinguisher, I do not know what would have happened. I probably would have taken water and just dumped it all over the place. It would have been a horrendous mess. But I took the fire extinguisher, figured out how to use it. You pull a pin and you squirt the thing, if you didn't know. And I squirted it off, and I just was, I, I said, okay, it's done. The fire is out. I had the right plan to make dinner, but I had the wrong pathway of how to do it. My wife came home, and she simply said, What happened to the toaster oven? And I thought about lying, but then the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I told the truth. And we laughed. But, uh, you know, the reality is, is that when you are developing a plan, you have to have the right pathway of execution. Because if you don't have the right pathway of execution, whether you have the right plan or not, it's not going to go well. Because failure will always follow the path produced by ourselves. We can go after it ourselves and say, I know what I need to do. I'm going to go down this path. I'm going to make this thing work. I know the plan. Sure, I don't need to clean it. I can just move forward. Too often we do that in our lives. Too often we do that in our relationship with one another and our relationship with the Lord. We see the plan. We have the scriptures and understand what God is calling us to do. But we don't always know how to do it right. Moses' story we're going to be looking at today shares with us how we can avoid the wrong path. Because in the beginning of Moses' story, he chose the wrong path. And so we're going to be looking at Exodus 2, 11-15, Acts 7, 20-29. And in the end of the service, we're going to look at Psalm forty six ten to be encouraged by the words of the psalmist. So the question we're asking today is, how can we avoid the wrong paths of life. I'm reading from the ESV, so if you have a different version and it looks a little bit different, that doesn't mean that you have the wrong version. It's just a different one. So I'm going to be reading from Exodus 2, 11 through 15, and then we'll move over to Acts 7, verse 20 through 29. The word of the Lord. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. Now Acts 7:20 20 through 29. The word of the Lord says this. At this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight and he was brought up for 3 months in his father's house. And when he was uh, when he was exposed Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up in her own house as her own son. In this story, I believe that Moses gives us five ways to avoid going down the wrong path. We can see that Moses understood a little bit about who he was. He was roughly 40 years old as this story began. And there was some semblance of understanding of his identity as a Hebrew. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh... He was raised as a prince. He was raised with all of the education that you could possibly imagine for an Egyptian. He had the best of the best. And I believe that as we look at this story, we're going to see those five ways. And the first way that I believe that Moses gives us as a way of avoiding the wrong paths of life, I believe he gives us this first one of surrender. Surrendered thoughts lead to the proper path. I believe that's the first way. Surrendered thoughts lead to the proper path. Why do I say that? Why do I think that Moses gives us that specific? view of, the, of avoiding the wrong path. Well, if you understand this story for a moment, and you look at the part in Acts where Stephen is telling the folks who are about to kill him the reality of the whole gospel, showing them the vision of Moses as Jesus, and trying to culminate the entire story of the gospel from Old Testament to then at that time, we see that he says a very interesting phrase. He says that it came into Moses' heart. It came into Moses' heart to go to his brothers. So we recognize that Moses understands a little bit of who he is. Now, there's all kinds of speculation about how Moses figured out he was a Hebrew. Some would believe that as his mother was his wet nurse, and he he was there all all the time, that he heard the stories of the Lord, that he would continuously go back and visit that family because he grew up there for a couple of years. And, And so they would instill in him the stories of the Lord and possibly Share with him who he was. Others believe that he was found in the in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter told him, I found you in the river. Your name means from the river, from the water, and so let me explain who you are. You're definitely not an Egyptian. You don't look like an Egyptian. You don't act or walk like an Egyptian. You guys remember that story? (laughs) Yeah. Illumination in your mind just came to you. You guys are all imagining. Uh, Anyways, so he, he, he understood a basis of his heritage. And it came into his heart that he was going to see his brothers. Now, I want you to understand, Moses was not an idiot. Right? Moses was very smart. He we see that he had powerful words and deeds. And as an Egyptian prince, he was not unaware that the people of his heritage were slaves. I want you to you have to realize and remember this. Moses was not an idiot. He was not blind to what was going on with his people. He knew what was happening. And so when he realized his identity and decided to stop turning a blind eye to the brokenness and the pain and the slavery of his people, it came into his heart. Now, why does that have anything to do with the thoughts of a person's mind? Here's why. Because in the Greek, the word heart that Stephen is using is the word cardia. You could see cardiac arrest. We can understand heart. But in the Greek, it doesn't just mean the heart, the beating heart. It also means the thought of a mind. And so what Stephen is saying, if you translate this out, he was saying a thought popped into Moses' head to go and do something. A thought popped into his head, and he was impulsive, Because our thoughts can convince our hearts to walk in disobedience. Our thoughts can convince our hearts to walk into disobedience. Moses allowed his thoughts to lead him into disobedience. Moses was an impulsive person. We see his impulse. He had a thought popped into his head. He didn't think about the ramifications. He didn't stop and think, okay, maybe I should ask someone about this, or maybe the Lord that I know of, the person that is over, the the, the king of my people, maybe I should rest and listen to see what he thinks about this thought. No, a thought popped into his head, and he impulsively went out. I fully believe that Moses had murder in his heart when he left. When he was moving with that impulsive thought, he had murder in his heart because he was not an idiot. Moses knew what was happening to his people. Moses knew. And so when he goes out to see his people, he would be a, 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 an unsmart person to think that he wasn't going to see someone in his, in his lineage getting beaten. Right? You have to think about it this way. So he went out and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He sees this happening and he even knows that what he's about to do is the wrong thing because in Acts, we, or in Exodus we see that he looked this way and that way and seeing no one, he struck him down. He allowed that simple thought that quickly popped into his mind to control his actions and walk into disobedience. He knew what he was doing was wrong. For you and for me, I don't know about you, but I, I can tend to be an impulsive person. Right? I go to a store and I'm like, oh yeah, I do need that. Buy it, put it in the cart. And then after that, I look at my bank account and say, maybe I shouldn't have bought that. Anyone like that? Raise your hands. Online, you can even raise your hands, right? Your, your spouse is probably nudging you, saying, yeah, that's you, right? But th- he was a very impulsive person in this moment, and we see the impulse led him to disobedience. For you and for me, when we have those thoughts pop into our mind, are we holding them captive and giving them to the Lord, or are we impulsively going after them? We can learn how not to go down the wrong path, and learning from Moses is to not be impulsive. 2 Corinthians 10.5 declares that we are to hold every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought must be captive so that we can be obedient to Christ, which means if we don't hold our thoughts captive, we will most likely end up being disobedient to Christ. And so the life lesson that we can learn from Moses is to surrender our thoughts. And that's why I said that the first way is that surrendered thoughts lead to the proper path. We need to surrender to the Spirit. Moses surrendered to his flesh. He knew what he was going to do. He went with a plan of murder in his heart, I fully believe. Moses went on impulse with a quick and fleeting thought we must not repeat his mistake. The second way that Moses gives us to recognize on how to go onto the right path is to realize that entitlement always leads to disappointment. Entitlement always leads to disappointment. Now you're wondering, how in the world does that come out of the life of Moses? I'm glad you asked. Because if you look at Moses' life, you look at the words that were describing him in both Acts and Exodus, we know that he was the man, right? And Josephus, the the, uh, great Jewish scholar, said that Moses was most likely being groomed to be Pharaoh, there was this leadership that was consistently spoken over the life of Moses. He was trained. He was powerful in word and deed. He had all the education you could imagine. And we know that he felt entitled because of the way Stephen describes the situation. Where he kills the Egyptian and he, Stephen says that Moses thought that they would recognize that the Lord had sent him to be their salvation. That salvation would come through his hand. He walks out with this impulsive thought. Yeah, I'm going to be the liberator of my people. So I'm going to do whatever comes into my head to do to fulfill what I know I'm supposed to be doing. And so he goes out and he murders an Egyptian. But his people did not see it that way. The retort actually messed with Moses' life to where he ran away. And we'll see that in a moment. But he felt, an entitled, he, he felt entitled to be their leader. He thought, of course when I do this, these slaves will follow me. Of course they'll they'll follow my rule. I'm I'm Moses. They know who I am. I've been walking around the last 40 years as the man, the prince with all the gold and all the education. Of course they're going to follow me. But his entitlement led to disappointment because he allowed his entitlement to empower his impulsive thought Because he felt like they would go with him if he did this. But they did not. They did not at all. I love what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, God will not bless what he has not ordained. God will not bless what he has not ordained. And he says that with this entitled, impulsive nature of Moses. It's in his book, On Moses. God will not ordain what he has not blessed. And many times we might walk into an area of entitlement thinking that God must bless this because of who we are. Now, I will tell you 100% honestly that I have struggled with this in my life. I have struggled with this in my life because there there were several times where I found myself where the people that were above me uh, had less education, They had less, uh, you know, degrees. They had less, uh, some of the folks that were my bosses at a time in a church were not ordained or even licensed. And so I had this sense of why do I even have to listen to this person? They don't know about ministry. I should be in charge. What is going on? Why in the world is my voice being shut down? I am entitled to have a voice. Well, that always led to disappointment because that was not God's plan. That was not what God ordained for me in those specific ministry situations. And I had to learn the hard way by being pushed down. I remember a time when I was spending time with the Lord and I was praying and I'm saying, God, I need you to just break me. Make sure that, that I can just become a better pastor, a better father, a better brother, a better husband. Whatever it is, I need to be better. Just break whatever needs to be broken. And that's a really dangerous prayer. Have you ever prayed that one? And God's like, I'll answer that one. Well, because in a moment, the Lord was like, well, you're arrogant and you're entitled. And everything that you've been doing and everything that you thought you deserve, you don't deserve a thing. Well, that one, I was like, that's not what I wanted. I wanted you to break something else rather than that part of my life. And this was about five or six years ago, and it hurt. It hurt real bad. But the Lord began to put me back together. He began to build into me who I'm really supposed to be rather than trying to bless something that he did not ordain. And too often, you and I can allow our flesh to lead us to entitlement. Moses was leading in the flesh, not leading in the spirit. And what Moses did not realize, what Moses did not recognize, what Moses did not capture was this, that God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. Moses thought, because I'm equipped, this is it, I'm called. I have all the equipment that I could ever need to be the greatest leader of all these slaves. I mean, after all, they're slaves. They're not like rich Egyptians. Of course they're going to follow me, the richest Egyptian they could ever meet or shake hands with. But no, God equips the called. And we'll see later in the the story of Moses' life that his isolation, his desert, shaped him into the person that he really needed to be. He learned things that he would not have known as a prince of Egypt in the desert. The desert began to shape who he would be. And we can see that in his life because he had no idea how to live in a desert, and he was about to lead people for 40 years in a desert. And so he needed to learn the problems and the issues of the desert. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. The third way he gives us is to remember that hidden failures will eventually be exposed. Moses was impulsive. Moses messed up. Moses felt entitled. And Moses tried to hide his failure. Moses put his failure in the sand. But hidden failure will eventually be exposed. No matter if it's in death, no matter if it's in this, the, where you're on your deathbed, or even if it's exposed by someone else or found out, like Moses the next day, somebody had found the body in the sand. And I love what Chuck Swindoll says about that. He said, The sand always yields its secrets. You and I, we can try and hide our failures. We can try and pretend like everything is fine. We can try and pretend that we don't have sin in our lives. We can try and hide it in the sand, but it's always going to be exposed. And when we try to hide our failures rather than own them and allow the Spirit to allow those failures to shape us and make us better and push us forward, if we try to hide them, then we are always going to have them exposed. God will always find a way to expose our hidden failures. It was the very next day for Moses. I mean, I don't know if you know anything about sand and the desert, but it's not soil and the ground. Right? You could dig a hole and the body will remain. But sand, you don't know when the wind is going to blow or when it's not going to blow. You can't control that. And so he might have dug a really deep sand thing, but that's even hard because if you've ever tried to shovel a hole in dry sand, it's not very helpful. It's not very easy. So he probably did a shallow sand grave and he thought, yeah, that was great. I hid my problem. No one's going to know. Well, The wind blows, the sand picks up, and then everything that was underneath it is going to be shown. Clearly, Moses had no idea about the desert. (laughs) He was not a very wise person about that area of life. Hidden failures will eventually be exposed. Moses acted in the flesh and not the spirit. How often do we try to do the same thing? When we mess up, when we sin, when we fall flat on our face, when we act entitled and the Lord points it out, when we do something that we know is wrong, even while we're doing it, but yet try to hide it. This happens human nature. If you look at Genesis, you look at Adam and Eve, when they sin, what was their first response? To run away and to cover themselves up. And I've said this many times before, We cannot run away from God when we mess up. Because when we do, the enemy wins. We begin to put things in darkness. We begin to hide it. We begin to shove it down. But it will always come back out. But if we run immediately to the Lord with that problem and with that issue and with that failure, we can receive the healing of the Lord right away. And we won't spiral down into worse and worse sins. Because I don't know if you recognize, but when you sin and you hide it, you're going to have to continue to sin to cover what you've done. And so you're going to be in a deep, 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 deep hole by the time it gets exposed. And you might not be able to recover because you don't believe that God could still love you. And you'll continue to run and continue to leave your relationship with the Lord and everyone around you. Sin destroys everything. And so we must allow the Lord to heal us in the moment that we run to him. And then we need to run to him the moment after we recognize what we have done. Even in the moment, ask the Holy Spirit, help me not to follow down this path. Break this thought. Hold this thing captive. Because all sin, my friends, begins right here. All sin begins right here with a thought, with an impulse, with an action. And sometimes our entitlement makes us feel like, oh, I can get away with this because I deserve it. That's another lie from the enemy. Hidden failure leads to fear, and fear can lead to fleeing. Moses' response when he failed was immediate fear. He feared, and that's why he ran away. And because he was afraid, he fled. We do not have to follow the example of Moses by fleeing and living in fear. When we fail, we can go to the Lord and ask for his healing and ask for his forgiveness. The enemy wants us to run away from the Lord. Don't let him win. Run to the Lord. Because your failure And your sin, if you hide it, will consistently compound upon itself. And it will eventually be exposed. The fourth way that we can see from Moses' life to avoid the wrong path is to remember that failure cannot foil the Lord's plans. Failure cannot foil the Lord's plans. Even though we fail, if God has a plan for us, He will still make it happen. Many times when we, when we fail, we don't want to confess it. We don't want to open up the reality of it because we think, okay, now it's done. It's over. Everything that I was supposed to do is now gone. Well, that would make you more powerful than God, and that's just not the case. God is more powerful than your failure. Do not believe the lies of the enemy who would say, oh, you failed, it's over, it's messed up, you could never return, the Lord would never want you back. Everything that I planned for you, nope, you just ruined it. The enemy wants you to believe that. Now we look at Moses' story. He murdered an Egyptian. He ran away. It took 40 years, 40 years, for him to get back on track to where he was supposed to be. And by that time, he started even then making excuses to the Lord. And we'll look at that part of his story next Sunday. But even though it took 40 years, God still used Moses to fulfill his plan, to use Moses as the redeemer and the the rescuer of the people of Israel. God still used him despite his failure. And if you look at Scripture... You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is that there's messed up people like me in the scriptures. It's not just perfect people. I don't even think there's anyone except Jesus who was perfect in the Bible. Everyone, at least some point, messed up really big, right? Joshua allowed people to trick him, and it messed up everything. David allowed himself to stay home, and he saw a woman, and it messed up everything. Every single person in the scripture that we can see Messed up someplace, somewhere. That's why we have life lessons from their lives. What to do and what not to do. Right? But God's plans still moved forward. We can slow God's plans for our, by our failures, but we cannot stop them. The enemy wants us to believe that our failures disqualify us, but that's not how God sees it. Your failures do not disqualify you at all but we need to confess them and move away from them so that we can continue down the way and the path that God has ordained for us. Do not believe the lies of the enemy. And there is a fifth way. The fifth way that you and I can avoid the wrong path. And that's this. Allow the deserts of life to shape you, not break you allow the deserts of life to shape you and not break you. Moses, he ran to the desert and he sat down by a well. We have no idea how long he was in the desert, but he sat down by a well and then he protected some people and he got a wife out of that time. That's kind of a strange way to Get a wife, right? I protect you, and now your, your dad gives you to me in marriage. But we see that God restored him even in those moments, gave him water in the desert, gave him life in his failure. He, we see in Acts that he had two sons during this time. But what we don't see until later was that the desert shaped Moses to be the person to lead a wandering band of millions of people in a desert. He didn't know it at the time, but the desert was shaping him. The desert was making him someone that he needed to become. That pain and that problem and that running away, God used in mighty ways in the life of Moses. And you and I, we might be in desert spaces in our lives right now. Many people might call the coronavirus the Corona Desert. Because people are afraid. People are worried. People are hiding and running away. And they feel isolated. And they feel broken. They feel terror that someone in their family might be sick or someone in their family is sick. But my friends, we can allow this desert, this time to shape us and not break us. If we live in the Spirit, if we allow the Spirit to fill us and move forward in His power... Rather than leaning into the flesh, this desert can shape us. And any desert that you find yourself in in your life can shape you. The enemy wants to use the desert to break you. He wants to use the desert to say, see, you're abandoned. No one loves you. See, God is not real because of all these things that are happening around us. How could God really be real if there's this huge pandemic going around the world that it seems like not even God can control? How can there be a God? And as many people are asking that very question, and they're in the desert of these moments, but my friends... We do not have to allow the desert to break us. We can allow it to shape us. And when you and I go out into the world and speak the truth of the gospel in the midst of the desert of our world, they will see the truth of the gospel and know that person is not afraid. What do they have? Well, God is real. God is real. When people are shaped by their deserts, they come out a stronger person. Moses didn't know it until he was wandering around, but he was a stronger person coming out of the desert than going into it. He no longer was impulsive. If you look at the story of Moses, he consulted God every time. He went into the, into the tent of meeting and he even brought Joshua in with him and said, listen, this is what we do. If we're going to make a decision, if things are going wild, if we have no idea what's happening, we're going to consult the Lord. Now, we know that he didn't always follow what the Lord had said when he got mad and frustrated with his people and he smacked a rock with a stick rather than calling water forth and that caused a big problem for his life. But we know that he always consulted the Lord. He knew what he was supposed to do even though he didn't do it because he was impulsive but he always consulted the lord may we be the same may we go after the lord and, and walk into his presence and consult the lord in the tent of meeting as we pray and we spend time with him in the deserts of our lives we can allow those to shape us even though the enemy wants to use them to break us we cannot allow our uncaptive thoughts to lead us astray we mustn't allow pride or failure or our personal deserts to hinder the path that the Lord has for us. Let us turn to Him for all we need, and do as Psalm 46:10 admonishes us, and that's this: cease striving and know that I am God. In this time, we need to cease striving. And know that he is God. Because I don't know if you know this, but you can't control the coronavirus. You can't control the pandemic that's happening. You can't control whether your kids go to school or not. But we can know that he is God. And we can sit and rest in his power. And not try and rest in our own power. Moses didn't do that right away. But you and I can. We don't have to burn the toaster oven of our lives. We can follow the path that we're supposed to go down. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Moses' story, both the successes and the failures, so that we could go down the five pathways of of avoiding the bad path. The wrong path is not something that we have to go down. Father, I pray that we won't hide our failures. I pray that we won't let the enemy use the deserts of our lives to break us. But God, may we go down the right path that you have set for us. And may we live in obedience, holding every thought captive and living for you through the Spirit, not the flesh. In your name, amen.